The Start On Demand. On demand. Of course, yesterday, dominating the headlines and stories was the letter sent by Winnipeg Police Service Chief Danny Smythe to his members. There's also a meeting today that will convene between police chiefs from across Manitoba, Winnipeg, Brandon, Thompson, and uh, other police forces in our province. We'll talk about going to the movies by yourself. Portage Place. There's a pending sale. Goes before City Council today. We don't know what we'll know by the end of that meeting today, but we do know that there are folks that are saying, hey, what about us? Those are the people that use Portage Place currently. We gave them a voice. We will also address the apology from Winnipeg Police Service. That photo that was on social media earlier this week of a man on a bench, that and much, much more. It is the start on demand. Let's get right down to business. Police chiefs from across Manitoba will be meeting with the Justice Minister today to talk about a policing strategy that would best work to tackle the meth crisis in this province. Now, this meeting was apparently in the works for a while and is not in response to that internal letter sent by Winnipeg's police chief to officers yesterday, but it was a spotlight. It has put a spotlight on that meeting. We shared with you that letter and the chief's frustrations yesterday. As Global's Joe Scarpelli explains, it got a lot of people talking, but is there enough action? 25 homicide scenes, countless hours of investigations, and lengthy overtime calls. And the Winnipeg police chief says it's taking a major toll on his officers. It's just hard to tell right now if anyone in government is committed to the actions necessary to help our community recover. Please hang in there, the chief stated in an internal memo obtained by Global News. It's a sentiment being praised by the union. It's a little refreshing because for the longest time, the chief has said we'll make do with whatever resources the mayor gives us. The union says officers are burnt out and sick time is at an all-time high. When you're at a busy supermarket and there's lots of lines, what do you do? How do you respond? Do you open more lines or do you get rid of cashiers. Mayor Brian Bowman says he agrees with the challenges, but a solution requires support from all levels of government, a move the police board chair wants to see sooner than later. Let's sit down, let's sit down with the service, let's sit down with people that are impacted by this, and let's put a solution together now. Manitoba's Justice Minister says a province-wide public safety and policing strategy is already in the works. There's certainly a lot of work ahead, but certainly we're prepared to do it, and we're prepared to work cooperatively to provide positive outcomes for Manitobans. We had the police association on with us yesterday, and in that conversation, Mo Sabarin said the police service needs to consider reallocating resources. His suggestion, perhaps moving officers from what he called more luxury areas, like, say, the school resource officer or community liaisons, back to general patrol, so there's more boots on the ground in the front lines, so to speak. Kevin Klein is the chair of the Winnipeg Police Board. I think we need to sit down and say, how do we fix this? Do we reallocate resources that are going to another area? Maybe. These are the conversations and the tough conversations that we need to have and make decisions on and not study and not talk about, not ignore. We need to have that discussion and get it done. I thought we had that discussion. We did have that discussion. I got another clip I want to play from you from Kevin Klein because it says something else that 
sounds like we've been down this road before. So we did ask the police chief to come on, Greg, yesterday. And in a statement, the chief said he is going to talk, but not until next week. In his words, I will make full comment to this on Monday when the WPS releases the 2018 annual statistical report, which will outline, quote, concerning crime numbers that are affecting our officers and plaguing the city. So, again, that's an annual crime report. comes out every summer. The chief obviously teeing up that those numbers are going to be bad when we hear them Monday. And that won't surprise any of us. We've known this for a while. We've been talking about those numbers for a while. Here again is Police Board Chair Kevin Klein. It's going to require actually sitting down, putting, you know, emotions aside, putting personal feelings of each other aside and getting this fixed now, like now. Uh, I'm happy to sit down with any uh, of our current MPs and have if they're actually going to bring something to the table. Don't just come for a photo op. Again, I'll reiterate, I thought we did this already. The the meth task force, I thought was, and I'll use the word tasked with examining all these questions, bringing people together, not only the three levels of government, but community leaders, those that had something at stake and to come down and to examine the problem, to go in depth on the problem, to come up with some recommendations and I confess when that meth task force released its 24 recommendations, I said from the get-go that this felt as though it should have been the starting point of the conversation surrounding meth and where we needed to go in terms of a strategy. Now, here we are, nearly three weeks removed from the release of that report and its recommendations, and it feels like here we are like, well, we really need to look at this and figure out where we need to go from here. It feels like too little, too late. Well, Mayor Brian Broman was away at a conference in New York yesterday, so he couldn't join us on our show, couldn't provide an a on-camera statement either, but in a written statement reiterated that he's already asked council to look at the recommendations from that math report, Greg, mm-hmm. and any of the recommendations that fall under the municipal jurisdiction, meaning the ones that the city can actually deal with, He's asked that the council implement them immediately, but the mayor also reiterated his call for other levels of government to respond to that meth report. So what did the province have to say about this? Justice Minister Cliff Cullen was the one answering those questions yesterday. He pointed to the things that they've already done, like adding more bed spaces at a number of hospitals. He says the province has also changed the laws so police no longer have to wait in hospitals when delivering someone who may be in the midst of a meth psychosis and mental health crisis. And that is important because that frees up some resources. Yes. And again, he mentioned the meeting that will bring police chiefs together today. He also said something else that caught my attention. Well, I certainly appreciate uh, the chief's uh, apparent uh, frustration. Uh, I think we all recognize that there's challenges out there, uh, challenges in uh, every province in terms of criminal activity. Uh, that's why you know, we've put together a, a criminal, uh, a public safety and policing strategy. Uh, and a big part of that strategy is how do we uh, work cooperatively as police agencies and the province uh, across the province uh, to combat uh, crime uh, and certainly combat uh, the illicit drug trade. Which part? Which part of that caught your attention? Well, it's just that uh, the the part that we always have to say, you know, we're not we're, we're like other provinces that there's crime in all provinces, and we're not we're this is an issue that the rest of the country is also dealing with, and I get that. It's not like anyone sitting here saying drugs are only in Winnipeg. 
for but in that, Manitoba, but that's not the point. And that's not what Mo Sabrin pointed and out we yesterday. We have a unique situation. We apparently potentially. have potentially and uh, apparently have a unique situation. Mo Sabrin telling us that when Winnipeg has two or three hundred calls for service in the queue, cities like Calgary and Edmonton maybe have thirty or forty. We're looking to verify that information. Not that we don't trust Mo, but we want to get these numbers straight from Calgary and Edmonton. We're working to do that. Are we like other jurisdictions? Does that mean we collectively throw up our hands and go, "Well, we're all"? in this together misery loves company no we need to we need to find a resolution to this we, we need a, a, a strategy and it feels like we don't really have one we're going to also share with you later in the show what some of you had to say some of your ideas to tackle this and again we'll bring to you whatever comes out of that meeting with all the police chiefs later today Clap away, McNabb. Nobody likes this. Yeah, well, there's, there, there are Jeff two bronzes. I thought you were doing your, right you were doing your exercises or something no, like that. I'm never going to a concert movie. with you. Oh, I would love to go to a concert with you. Please, or, let's do or that. Or a movie. Anything. Let's just, come on, be my friend, Jeff. Yeah, we'll see. Two out of five of us are on the verge of two weeks of holidays. Jeff Braun and Loren McNabb getting two weeks off. Uh, Jeff, Kelly, and yours truly will be here next week. Slug it away. Oh, Oh, Jeff, you're on the holidays. You're on the holidays, too. Yeah, so, G-Mac, it's a, you know what? There's a saying here. You know, some people sit by the fireplace and some people chop the firewood. <laughs> I Get guess chopping, I'll just, Kelly. I'm my <laughs> So yesterday, my schedule dictated that I didn't really have, from the time I left here to the time that I had to be at the University of Manitoba to pick up my kids, I had a, like a valley of time where it didn't really make sense for me to go home home and try and get a rest or or do some work at home and then go and pick up the kids at the University of Manitoba. So I decided I'm going to go see a movie. And why though? Not to see the movie. That wasn't your initial plan. <laughs> I wanted to take a nap. <laughs> a $12 nap. <laughs> Complete with popcorn oh. and a drink, of course. But I ended up jo- enjoying the movie so much. Yesterday, there were seven people in the theater. And, and here's where the discussion is going. How many the, were sleeping? Uh, I don't think okay. any of them because it was a fairly uh, enjoyable uh picture, as one might say, and I was surprised. I sat down in the last row, because I like to be near the back, and I was sitting, two people walked into the theater, and they decided to sit at the very end of the same row as me. I thought that was strange enough, and then two more people walked in and decided the best seats would be... Three and four seats away from me, respectively. respectively. You're just a magnet, Mac. Like <laughs> so I, speak, I magnet. suspect I was either smelling very good or, as uh, as Willie Penner said on Twitter, uh, Mackling, it's the Kavorka, which is just oh, some yeah. unknown sort of Seinfeld, magnetism. Uh, Kramer's right? curse. Kramer's curse. And uh, so <laughs> I asked you guys, have you ever been to the movies, A, by yourself, and do you ever find it weird that when you go to a restaurant... You're drawn to the dirty table. There might be 30 tables to choose from. You go, no, I want to sit where someone just sat. Or the idea that the lineup draws you in. What 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 is it with all these bizarre phenomenons? Uh, McNabb? I, I have never been to the movies by myself, but on the lineup. Well, with all the traveling you did? 
I, I feel like I, I know. I hear you, Kelly. I feel like I must. And I lived alone, like friendless forever in Israel. It took months to make friends over there. All that opens up some possibilities. Oh, I just mean you move to new places. It takes a while to establish like a social network. And I just don't remember going to the. But I definitely go to restaurants by myself. I have no issue with that. I'll sit and eat by myself, have a drink by myself, like go to a museum by myself. That's not a problem. But just for some reason, not the movies. But I have been drawn to lines before. There used to be this one that used to form outside the Garrick downtown like on a regular basis. I don't know if they were selling things or what. And I got caught like at you least. just go stand in line and see what's going on? Once a week I rolled out my window in my car and be like, what are you guys all standing around for? Because <laughs> oh, no. maybe, oh, no. maybe it'll be something I'm interested in. FOMO. And then, uh, yeah, I was out. like, well maybe there's something uh, I need to do. You've probably gone to movies by yourself. I go to the movies by myself all the time. I love it because uh, you only need to secure the one seat then, right? And it opens up your possibilities. The only bad thing about going by yourself is uh, I've got a very small bladder and I always have to go to the bathroom during the movie. And if you go by yourself, it's super weird to come back from the bathroom and then ask a stranger what you missed while you were the last two days. You can do it with your girlfriend or your buddy or whatever. But but do you, no, I don't. I just uh, I just try and pick my moment. Yeah. Stewing over and, what you missed? And every now and about half the time I'll miss just the most critical piece of it. And I'm like, what's going on? now? Who what did, did I miss? <laughs> just all up the upstairs just like, put that on pause for a second. <laughs> you rewind it a bit? That would be delightful to be able to pause it. <laughs> Kelly, you've you traveled a ton yeah. when you were the voice of the Jets and the, and the Moose. You must have gone to the odd movie by yourself. Yeah, quite a bit. There, We had uh, the same group of us that traveled, so we would generally tend to uh, uh, go to movies together. But every once in a while, you know, somebody would have something else to do and I'd uh, book it down to the theater. I, I wasn't much uh, into going into smoky bars and stuff like that, so I really enjoyed movies. And uh, yeah, I, uh, one of my all-time favorite movies, Love Actually, I saw all, on my own in Salt Lake City. Rushed back home and phoned my wife and, and told her, I've just seen what is going to become <laughs> our favorite movie at Christmas. I think yeah. the story should have been, I rushed back and phoned my wife and professed my love. <laughs> <laughs> and then follow up. Buy good, tickets. Good advice. It's going to be a great movie. I phoned, oh, I phoned my employer. Yeah. I said, I must come home. I'm getting the next flight. I miss you so much, my yeah. love. Jeff yeah. Orche? I actually went to my first movie by myself. Uh, actually, this year I went to saw uh, Bohemian Rhapsody and went to the afternoon show, so there was nobody in there. Yeah, yeah. Like, just like you were, it's, you know, maybe tops of 10 people. Matinees are the best. Except uh, there was, I guess somebody must have dropped their cell phone in there from the previous show. Because <laughs> throughout the movie, yeah, it kept ringing, and me and the people people who were sitting behind me we kept looking back at, I guess they were like teenagers, thinking it was them, and they're going, It's not me. It's not me. And well, we why didn't hear, somebody answer the phone? Well, I don't know. I, like, I didn't want to miss the movie, so I didn't want to. <laughs> go up and try to search for the cell phone that was ringing, so... But yeah, it was good. That's amazing. I think I have a new favorite pastime, I must confess. I was going to bring my golf clubs today and uh, go to the golf dome instead. I think I might go to another movie. Now, by the way, what, what? movie did yeah. you see? Uh, yesterday. Oh, is it good? Well, I love the Beatles music. Yeah. It was terrific. It was a no. delightful love story with a few twists and turns. I'll Thanks, take guys. my wife. Thank okay. you, Kelly. Yeah. That was going to be go. my follow-up. Take your wife. <laughs> profess your love. Come on now. Be good. Loren, North Americans have been fleeing to the suburbs since 1950s. Cars, freeways, and the promise of that white picket fence and, and a utopian future drawing millions of people to the suburbs in the 50s. With that run to the suburbs came giant shopping malls with acres of free parking. And with it, 
urban decay for many sitting cities. The answer to the suburban mall was a downtown mall. So when Portage Place opened in September 1987, it was envisioned as a catalyst for downtown renewal, a spark plug to ignite energy and excitement in the very heart of Winnipeg. Starlight is uh, proposing to do something. Uh, That's great. Never before has the land uh, and parking been offered uh, for sale. Uh, They were smart enough to get it consolidated. That will probably be what wins the day. Uh, They'll develop. They're developing with other people's money. And uh, it'll be great for downtown. But it won't change downtown. Uh, Portage Place can go from being a problem to not being a problem. But that doesn't mean the problem won't exist someplace else. That was Sandy Schindelman, president and CEO of Shindico. He was on with Hal Anderson yesterday afternoon. And today, Winnipeg City Council will get a look at what the future of Portage Place may look like in the eyes of this Toronto-based developer. You heard Schindelman mention Starlight Investments. Brent Bellamy is chair of the Centre Venture Board, creative director at Number 10 Architectural Group. And he joins us now. And let's piggyback on Sandy Schindelman's comments there to start off our discussion. Is this an opportunity to see Portage Place finally achieve its promise, Brent? I sure, uh, you know, I really hope it is because Portage Place takes up three solid blocks of the most important street in Winnipeg. And, you know, it's not living up to its potential and hasn't really since the place opened in 1987. So, I, you know, something has to happen. And I, I do see this as an opportunity to to redefine a big part of the downtown. It's true it's not going to ever save downtown um, like it was sort of promised many years ago, but uh, I think it's exciting to see some change happening and hopefully it, it does become a better contributor for the for the downtown. What does that look like to you then, Brent? What would be achieving its purpose or its potential in terms of what we would see there instead of what's there now? You know, it was built, like you were saying, to really out-suburb the suburbs in the 80s, there were five malls built in Winnipeg. So it was really just trying to, to piggyback on what was happening. For 50 years before that, Portage Avenue was the retail hub of the city, and it really it lost that. And so it, the hope was that it was going to yeah, out-suburb the suburbs, and obviously that didn't happen. And I don't think it ever will. We can't hope that it goes back to being a regional mall. It's not going to attract people from the other parts of the city to go shop there. But I really do see its future as serving the downtown neighborhood and becoming that community hub that it has the shops and and whatever other services the downtown needs. I, I think that's its future. We, you know, there's True North Square has really transformed part of that, you know, part of that part of downtown. It's bringing um, people down there on a much more regular, regular basis. There's a, a population actually growing there. So I do see its future as... Uh, serving that that downtown neighborhood. So do you understand uh, the concern then from some of those folks who do see it as their downtown hub, as a part of their community, and maybe the, the, the cornerstone or the, the centerpiece of their community, a, a meeting place? Do you see their concern that, that this mall may turn into something that's not public access uh, in the form that it is now? Yeah, I absolutely understand that concern. I don't think we should be stopping the sale because we do have to move forward with Portage Place. It can't really be frozen in time. It's not successful. 
but it is a very successful community hub. If you go to the food court in particular, you will see an amazingly vibrant place. Like it's an incredible uh, place pretty much from when it opens to when it closes. So I think we need to, we need to understand that there are, there is a need for community public space like that. And whether it means in the end, we need to build a community hub or, um, you know, another library or really work to make sure that the downtown library is as inclusive as possible and not sort of moving backwards in that way and understanding that we do need to have these kind of places. I don't think we should stop, should stop the sale because of that, but, but I also do think that the future of Porridge Place is to be that kind of community hub. And it's a very large building. It needs to have those types of spaces, I think. And, and so I do hope in the end it will also provide that function. Greg expressed an idea earlier this week, Brent, that I really liked, and it was about the issue with downtown in some respects is the fact that all these buildings are inward-facing, meaning there's no access point on the outside. You look at something like City Place, you have to go into the structure and then do your shopping. You have to go into the mall and do your shopping. And so what is your hope that we might reverse that, turn that around so that if there are stores, you you can access them from several points on the outside? You know, that was one of the great sort of quick failures of Portage Place. If you look at how it was designed in the 80s, you, it was really well designed. It's a, it's a nice building. Um, the, the spaces are really nice. It, it brought high-density residential. It had theaters, live theater, IMAX, it, um, office space. It had everything you would think would make it successful, but it really failed along the street. And almost instantly, those stores were closed to the street. They were intended to be you know, shops, just like the shops that were there that it replaced. So I think a big piece of it is opening it up back to, to Portage Avenue and making it a place for, you know, to, that really fosters that street life because that's really the, what it's been missing. It, it sucked the life right off of Portage Avenue and brought it in, inside. And I think, you know, you're right. We need to not just at Portage Place, but in many places in downtown, begin to re-engage the sidewalk and bring people back out so they can, you know, be seen and, and it makes it feel safer and, you know, encourages more uh, retail activity. I think really that is a huge piece of what could make Portage Place a better contributor to downtown. Brent, uh, we could talk for hours, but unfortunately we're out of time. We look forward to your response and getting some details today on this uh, redevelopment proposal from Starlight. And uh, as always, uh, appreciate your insight. Thanks for this. Thank you. Anytime. Brent Bellamy joining us this morning, Chair of Centre Venture Board, Creative Director, Number 10 Architectural Group. You can follow him on Twitter. He's a great follow. Uh, whether you agree with him or not, he's expressed a lot of passion about the city of Winnipeg, which is why we love having him on the program. Yes, it's time for the Small Town Salute. It's brought to you by South Beach Casino. It's true. Get real cash back on your play. Find out more at southbeachcasino.ca. And Loren, we are going to Jeff Braun's favorite place in the world, outside of movie theater, Altona, Manitoba. Coming up, not this weekend, but next, it's the Manitoba Sunflower Festival. And to tell us about it is Committee Chair Teresa Fagurski. Good morning, Teresa. Good morning. How are you doing? Doing great. Great to speak with you one more time. We had a nice chat yesterday. We but did. now we have you on the air today. First of all, give us a geography lesson for those of us that do not know where Altona, Manitoba is. Tell us how to get there from downtown Winnipeg. 
Uh, downtown Winnipeg, you're an hour, hour 20 minutes away. You're 55 minutes south of St. Norbert, straight down Highway 75, for, and then you go probably 10, 15 miles, a little bit west and south again. We're six miles off the U.S. border. So it's an easy drive, double lane. Pick up your Timmys and Morris halfway there, and before you know it, you're here. Well, I spent uh, a weekend there for a hockey tournament earlier this year and was amazed at just how even in summertime it sort of has that uh, Sunflower Festival feel, feel. Such a pretty town. Tell us a bit about, I mean, how many years are we talking about now? Since 64, is that right? You, you bet. So what's my math? 55 years. We're in the 55th year uh, for the Manitoba Sunflower Festival. Uh, going strong. There's a ton of activities. And um, what you saw in the winter with, your, with the hockey tournament, and you were impressed. Uh, if you come back, you'll be uh, even more blown away. The town, it's a really pretty little town. People take care of their yards. The public works does a really great job. The parks are beautiful. Gallery in the park. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it started off as a nod to um, the sunflowers in the area and farming in the area. Uh, we do have Ronnie Seeds, uh, a great uh, sunflower seed company from um, the RMA Rhineland, just outside of Plum Coulee. Um, yeah. Tell us about Vincent Van Gogh and his connection to uh, Altona. <laughs> so every town has a, um, I guess a, uh, what would that be called? A, like an attraction, and it's usually there a big, it's usually there a giant, go. you know, like, you know, is it Glenboro? Glasgow has the Happy Rock, right. Altona has the, uh, well, Altona has a huge Van Gogh, has the sunflowers, um, it's a replica of Van Gogh's sunflower, um, on a on a big easel, uh, as you're coming into town, it's a huge, I don't know, I'm not sure the dimensions of it, but, um, yeah, and it was just, it's uh, really it big, it's really, really big. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go with that. And so is the so is the festival. So tell us, uh, it gets underway on the twenty sixth. Tell us uh, if we are inclined to make the drive to Altona, as you pointed out so eloquently, the easy drive to Altona. Uh, what will we find there, and and what would keep us there for more than a couple hours? Oh, okay, you're gonna. Uh, there's just too much to mention. You're gonna find uh, there's um, a whack of baseball going on. We have uh, the Bison's 55 plus slow pitch tournament. We have the 15 under AAA provincial tournament being held. A mixed co-ed baseball. There's a three on three basketball tournament. Quilt show, um, gallery in the park uh, that has uh, beautiful grounds and permanent sculptures. As well, um, this year we have works on loan from uh, various artists, Miriam Rudolph, Terry Hildebrand, Barbara Stafford-McCluskey, Kay Sasaski. Uh, there's something for kids. There's petting zoo, stuffy riders, bouncerama, face painting. We have Eric the Juggler. Um, Saturday, there's a uh, free pancake breakfast, uh, a huge commercial parade um, all through Altona. Um, we uh, have the Altona has, um, I'm not sure if it started in 64 or when, uh, when the Queen pageant um, became part of the festival, um, but there. Altona has managed to hang on to a, a queen pageant. So uh, uh, people from the community, um, basically ambassadors, high school uh, girls. Um, there's a, we have a sister city in Emerald, Australia. They also have a pageant that goes on there. Uh, and the ambassadors do a lot of uh, 
not philanthropy, but volunteer work, uh, wow. outreach in the community. Um, so there's uh, a pageant that goes on, speeches, um, uh, fashion shows. Uh, we also have entertainment on Friday, Saturday nights. We have a couple tribute bands, uh, Bon Jovi tribute bands, oh, Cher tribute bands. Oh, oh what start, time is that? Should have led with that. Yeah, for uh, Loren and I, that's uh, right up our alley. What? Well, you're going to want to come for the day and stay for the evening. Got uh, it. Sunday, uh, Sunday all afternoon in the park, we start off with Ariel Posen. We have Two Crows for Comfort, Kendra Kay, Unexpected In, Tim Friesen. That's going on on one side of the park. The other side of the park is a 41st annual uh, Legends Car Show, Classic Car Show. So they're brought into the park. Wow. Um, really great. And everything, have I mentioned that everything is free yet? Did you I have not. How can pe- Easy drive, and then it's free. Uh, easy drive, it's free if you want more information. I think the website, manitobasunflowerfestival.ca, is that right? You bet. We're on Facebook and Instagram, and then you can go onto the website as well. And we're still accepting um, applications or entries for the parade, and all the information's on the website. Teresa Fogerski, committee chair for Manitoba Sunflower Festival. It happens July 26th, 27th, and 28th in beautiful Altona. And you can write this down for future reference. Teresa, the Van Gogh yes. is 76 feet, 6 <gasps> inches tall. Oh my goodness! Well, yeah, it's go. huge. Well, it's like you. eleven. It's like it's like it's like seven <laughs> stories tall. It's gigantic. Thanks for this, Teresa. Perfect. Thanks for your interest. Hope to see you here. Donald Trump and thousands of his faithful joining in a rousing chant of not lock her up, which was the chant du jour during uh, the 2016 campaign, but send her back. And opposed to playing that for you again, you've heard it multiple times. We asked for your reaction to this. We've had many text messages at 780-6868. I want to read this one. I'm disgusted by what is going on in America. Perhaps the media or journalists should stop covering his Klan rallies totally. Would that help? He seems to need these rallies to pump him up. And if there was no coverage, it would drive him crazy in brackets, perhaps. Have people always been this horrible or is his, quote, leadership enabling them is my question. And I fear this attitude is creeping into our country. What is happening is way past politics. And it boils down to, are you a decent human being or not? I know where I stand and I ask others to think deeply about their stance. Reggie Cicchini joins us from Washington. And I think that sentiment echoed in that text message is a question being asked by leaders, citizens alike in the United States in the past week. Fair to say, Reg? Absolutely. It's a question that's being asked across the United States, and it's especially a question that's being asked in Washington right now, and particularly and quite loudly by the Democratic Party, who are trying to put a message out there saying that this is not the way that Americans should speak. This is not the way that a country should be rallying behind anybody uh, kind of putting away or putting out this kind of attitude. And we now have uh, uh, presidential candidates that are coming out saying, look, this is vile, this is racist, and this does not represent what the office of the president should be standing for. For those not paying attention, Reggie, how did this start. This all started with, uh, surprise, surprise, a tweet from the President of the United States. 
It does. And we typically get a tweet, we, we pay attention to it, and then we kind of ignore it as the days go on. But the problem is, is that this tweet is continuing to resonate. The president continues to now verbalize his tweet, which started last weekend, where he called out for uh, progressive, far-left-leaning Democrats uh, for basically their, their views on how the Democratic Party is working right now. And these four congresswomen are of color. One of them uh, was born in Somalia, but is a now a naturalized citizen and has been in the U.S. for 19 years. Uh, but he told them to go back from where they came. And that is where people are clinging on to this, saying that this is a racist comment for the president to be making, especially when, A, three of these women were born in America, so there is nowhere for them to go back to. And one of them is a naturally uh, naturalized citizen who's been living in this country for decades now. So this is what's been going on for the last couple of days. This is what the Democrats are clinging on to. And what we're seeing now is this is what the Republicans are uh, are allowing the president to stay by not calling him out for it. You use the word allow. The uh, President Trump stood there and and it was timed for 13 seconds while these chants rallied around him, these send her back chants. Didn't say anything, didn't denounce it. And when you say the Republicans are sort of standing by, is anyone in that party speaking out against what's happening here? Or is this going to be how we have the dividing line as we head into the election campaign between the two parties? Look, there are a number of Republicans who work in in Congress. There are hundreds and hundreds of them, and we've seen less than uh, 80 of them actually come out and say what the president is saying is inappropriate, but what they're also doing is saying they understand where the president is coming from when he attacks these women for what their political ideologies are. So they're trying to blend uh, uh, condoning the message uh, along with what the president is saying, but we're seeing the significant majority of people in the Republican Party standing with the president, leadership from both Kevin McCarthy in the House and from Mitch McConnell in the Senate, saying the president is not racist and what the president is saying is not racist. And this is what's kind of allowing uh, the base uh, within the Trump campaign and within uh, kind of like rural America to be growing and rallying around the president because they don't see Republicans getting in the way of the president. They see the Republican Party standing with what the president says, which is why you have a crowd chanting these 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 vile and, and kind of, uh, you know, unnecessary rhetoric towards elected members of Congress. These people didn't just walk into Congress and take these jobs. These people were put there and elected by their fellow citizens. Well, and it was Donald Trump who ran on the basis that America is, you know, as great as it could be and that there are things that could be improved and make America great again. So the starting point in his mind was certainly uh, not one of greatness. At least that was the marketing message. That's my commentary. I guess the, the question is, how do we move forward from this? Because there are a lot of people suggesting that this feels like also a, a gigantic distraction to other things that are going on, uh, not only politically, but potentially legally a, a big uh, day or so for the president and, and those around him in the next oh, several hours here. Absolutely. I mean, look, we, we've said that the president uses big moments like this to distract from other things that are going on around him. We know that uh, the president potentially used this originally over the weekend because those immigration raids were failing. We know that there was potentially a rally scheduled for last night because Robert Mueller was supposed to testify today. That obviously is not happening till next week. We know that there have been uh, contempt charges that have been laid against uh, William Barr and against Wilbur Ross over the citizenship question, over the census. We know that there are issues having to do with Michael Cohen that are coming to light today. So the president is using all of these options, uh, regardless of, of, of how uh, they're interpreted by anybody else, as ways to distract from the message. The problem is, is this is one of those tweets that's not going away, and this very well could be a crying call now to go forward as we head into the election next year, that Lock Her Up will fully be changed to uh, send her back, as racist as that is, and it could be what he tries to rally his base on by saying, look, we cannot have the Democratic Party in place right now because there are people who don't belong in America, because again, the president says... 
or at least feels, if you trash me, if you trash any of my policies, it just makes you un-American. What's more dangerous, to cover these events or to ignore them? Well, I mean, the problem is, is that if we ignore covering these events, the president needs to have a pool around him at all time because the president will say something that needs to be covered. So we can't stop covering these these events and these rallies. What we could do is what a lot of networks are doing is stop broadcasting them in full with the exception of Fox News and kind of their affiliate network. They'll carry these things beginning to end. But the majority of of networks and are, are simply just pulling uh, this wall to wall coverage of Donald Trump and basically putting the highlights out there because it is still important for Americans to see what the president is saying regarding regardless of how uh, of how ignorant or how vile those words are everybody needs to be able to hear them coming from the horse's mouth so full coverage is might not be necessary but we do need to be there because we do need to put the president on record for the words that he's saying global's reggie Cicchini from washington for us thank you reggie thank you about the photo that police apologized for on Wednesday. That's the photo that we shared with you on CGOB.com, which shows Winnipeg officers and fire paramedics posing with a vulnerable man while an officer appeared to take their picture. Police have concluded that the officer did take a photo and they apologized for that yesterday. Meanwhile, the city is still investigating the role firefighters played in this incident. As for the man in the photo, we know fire paramedics found him to be intoxicated, which is why police were there, because he needed transport to the Main Street Project. That's where intoxicated persons detention area is. And it's also where staff work basically around the clock to make sure that clients are safe, but also not further stigmatized. Tal East is with the Main Street Project and joins us now. Good morning, Tal. Good morning. How are you? Very well. Uh, first of all, this apology, does that mean something to folks there and to your clients? Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, we believe that the officer is genuine in her apology and that internally the matter will be taken care of sufficiently within the police department. Um, you know, we deal with people that for one reason or another may need to apologize sometimes themselves. And so uh, when people do, we take it very seriously. What is the learn in process from here, what should the rest of us take away? Because we've had a few people, you know, they write in and say, what's the big deal? And is it really more about how we respect and show uh, our respect in a, a better way for people who might be fairly vulnerable in society and particularly in that moment when they're on their way to Main Street? Absolutely. Uh, it is about respect, just like your previous segment noted, uh, about people losing that, that niche that we used to have of respecting each other. It is definitely about respect, about not continuing to stigmatize someone who is vulnerable, about understanding that the person sitting there in that moment is ill. Um, it is a health concern, therefore the paramedics were there. And we wouldn't necessarily engage in the same behaviors if it was someone that was sitting there with a walker, just like that gentleman was, but had a different health concern other than alcoholism. Uh, we wouldn't make light of that. We would take it seriously and protect the person as we're supposed to. So I think the learn is that whether it's alcohol or a different health concern, it is still a health concern and we need to treat it as such. Tal, we played back some comments from listeners to this radio station from yesterday afternoon about response to the meth crisis overall and the, and the, and the suggestion from Winnipeg Police Service uh, Chief Danny Smythe that, hey, we are overrun here. And some folks were bringing to the table their suggestions. And one of them was to to not to send anybody back anywhere, but to lock them up because people are breaking the law that use drugs essentially was the message. And do we have a bridge to build here in terms of the understanding of where we're at, that this isn't a legal crisis necessarily that we're in as it pertains to, to meth, but, but more of a health crisis? 
I think that you're right. And whatever substance uh, of choice it is for an individual person that they may be overusing or perhaps misusing, um, that doesn't give anyone else the opportunity or the right to make light of it or make fun of it like any other health crisis. I agree with you that, you know, there, we need to be able to bridge that gap that teaches people that substance abuse and substance issues are a health concern and not a justice concern. Um, I think once people understand that a little bit more, they will treat people with more dignity and respect. That gentleman has a family. He's somebody's son. He's somebody's brother. He's somebody's friend. Um, And people need to just take a step back and think, if that was my family member or my friend, how would I feel if if I saw that picture on social media? I knew that um, my family member was being made light of or his current condition was being made light of. People wouldn't like that. So we kind of have to try and use that empathy and putting our, our feet in his shoes, so to speak. Change the lens. Change the lens. Absolutely. Um, you know, we do this day in and day out and people are people, uh, whether they're intoxicated on, on a street bench or whether they're intoxicated at home or whether they're not intoxicated at all. People are people. And we need to treat each other with respect and dignity and really take care of each other. And I think what that, that picture may tell people is that in that moment, that person wasn't necessarily being taken care of. Tal East, Main Street Project, we thank you very much, not only for the work that you do, but of course, for spending some time with us this morning. We know your, your time is very valuable. Thank you, Tal. Thank you for having me. Loren, yesterday we were asking the question, analysts, well, there was a little set up and then a question. Analysts are predicting 12,000 stores in the U.S. could close this year with e-commerce in part to blame. How do you prefer to shop? All day we were talking about how we shop, the changing face of retail in Manitoba. And that was our question of the day at cgob.com. You had a variety of choices. I like to shop in stores and malls was number one, but you still have time to get in and adjust and change the outcome. Question of the day is brought to you by Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness, 204-832-6243. And if you stick around till the top of the hour, we'll have Blue Bomber tickets to give away. But first... The debate over whether or not to sell Portage Place gets underway at City Hall today with a vote to come by council. So we know the land and the parkade are owned by three levels of government. The mall itself owned by a Vancouver company and now an investment group is looking to take over the entire thing and wants to pay for both the land and the mall, about $80 million all in. Don't forget the parking. Don't forget the parking. <laughs> That's a big part of this deal. Before council votes and checks possibly cash, there's a group that wants you to hear what they have to say. Mary Kay Brunelli is the director of Central Neighborhoods, which represents people living in and around that neighborhood, around Portage Place and Central Park. And she joins us now. Good morning. Good morning. So tell us about this group. Humans of Portage Place is the name on Facebook. Who are you? How many? Uh, so it's just a small group of us. They're mostly community organizers who live or work and volunteer, study, or connected somehow with the local community in Central Park. Marike, give us a little bit of an idea of what goes on at Portage Place, because even in just in the last several minutes, uh, we've had some text messages from listeners who essentially, I won't fib to you, lament the very existence of, of Portage Place and, and what's going on there presently. Can For those that don't go there very often, what is going on there? Uh, Portage Place is a very interesting place to be. It's such a lively uh, and busy uh, space for the community that actually lives in that neighborhood. Uh, There are so many different features in the mall. Uh, You go from the food courts 
uh, to uh, the beautiful trees and planters. There's benches. There's a fountain and the piano. People go and sit. But there's also so many community organizations that uh, provide services and programming there, too, um, that go from uh, family programming to youth uh, uh, programs and arts, uh, music, uh, and also adult ed. Uh, so it's a very different vibe than your regular mall. Uh, and it's clearly serving a purpose in this neighborhood that doesn't have a community center. We don't know the plans for the mall as of yet, if it is to be sold to this investment group out of Toronto. What's the concerns uh, for you and for the people that frequent there? You outlined a lot of the different uh, folks that come through its doors and the fact there's no community center downtown. So is there is the overall riding concern that there's just will be no place to go then? Yeah, uh, well, we are for sure, uh, for sure first of all, uh, very concerned with the speed that this process has gone through uh, with the city of Winnipeg. Uh, we only heard about this through the media, in, although many of us are really connected with both the city and also the sports. Uh, so we have noticed that nobody has talked to the community about what will happen with the space. And so we kind of want to ask some questions and have the community have an opportunity to have their say on what what its place means to them uh, and what their ideas are for the future. So that's why we created this uh, uh, online platform. Uh, many of these neighbor, uh, neighborhood residents don't have 24-7 access to the Internet. They don't all uh, have phones either. So uh, it's just a fun way for us to facilitate that conversation for them. So are you going to get a chance to have your say at City Hall today? We know that they often let delegates speak on a variety of issues before votes go through. Are you going to be there? And, and what will you say if given the chance? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll be speaking uh, to council this morning uh, in opposition to the sale. Um, our ask will be to oppose the immediate approval of the sale. Uh, we need the community to have their say. We can leave uh, that conversation to after the deal is sealed and in the end of a private developer. Mareke, for those that might say, oh, come on, Porridge Place is just, it's full of crime, it's full of drug dealers, uh, it's really not good for anything, and, and you've done a great job in outlining what is happening there. Tell us, uh, it, are those things that I just suggested happening there, or are they happening less frequently than outsiders might believe? Are you able to, yeah, sure. to quash any of that? Yeah, there are for sure issues with uh, the mall, um, although many that do frequent that place uh, on a regular basis kind of see that happening not so much inside the building, but uh, in the neighboring area, um, which is a problem that I think uh, uh, stands on the lack of funding uh, of uh, for social programming and for uh, anti-poverty uh, programming that uh, isn't really happening in this neighborhood. Uh, actually, we hear that... Uh, the investment or the revenue that uh, the Fort North Portage makes uh, through all the parking that you were mentioning in this area gets reinvested in the forts and not in this community. So that is a little telling for us to see that uh, we, we hear that this area needs a lot of investment, but then right again, we take that money and we put it elsewhere. So that's why I think that we need the community to have a say in what is going on here. Do you go to this mall often yourself and, and what do you use it for? Uh, yeah, I go there. I often have uh, meetings uh, in the area because that's the, one of the communities that uh, my program serves. Uh, there's a, a lot of um, uh, community organizations, like I said, that offer programming. Um, there's uh, the Independent Living Resource Center that offers so many different kinds of trainings that are very uh, helpful for someone like me uh, with the job in the community, but also others. Um, there's uh, 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 Urban Studio has uh, artwork that sells uh, 
art that uh, is made by people that are uh, going through their programming and promotes mental health awareness. Um, so, yeah, for myself, I, I also go there just to visit with some people at times because that's where they go. Well, good luck at City Hall today, Mareke. We appreciate you taking some time to give us uh, some insight as to what goes on inside Portage Place. Uh, Unfortunately, far too many of us uh, have not been in that building for an awfully long time. So thank you for this. And like I say, good luck at City Hall today. Thank you for having me. Thirty-two years after it opened, I think we can all agree that downtown Winnipeg has through been through a lot of ups and downs. But I would say overall, it's absolutely on the upswing. A lot of positivity going on in the downtown. Not only public investment, which was at the forefront probably for the first seven, eight, nine years of this rejuvenation but of downtown, now. but now a ton of private investment. And right at the top of that is uh, True North Square. And Joanna Chipman joins us now with True North Real Estate Development. Joanna, good morning. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Greg. Nice to have you with us. A very exciting announcement today. This uh, very, very strong endorsement from True North Real Estate Development around local and partnering with local entrepreneurs for your Hargrave Street Market. So for those that haven't been tuned in this morning, maybe give us an overview of what that project's going to look like. Absolutely. So Hargrave Street Market is the food hall that's located at True North Square. Um, so it's located in, in the first building that we opened at True North Square, 242 Hargrave, which is primarily an office building. Um, but the, the plans for the food hall and the retail spaces at True North Square have really been part of the vision since the beginning. So now we're just really excited to announce to the, the larger public of what exactly those retail plans are. So Hargrave Street Market spans two floors in 242 Hargrave. And over those two floors, there's nine different tenants, nine different restaurant and retail concepts. So they range from uh, one sit-down restaurant to um, smaller sort of food vendors uh, to a grocery concept and a large mix of seating throughout um, different areas, different spaces for people to be able to gather. And we really think it's going to become a special place for downtown and a special place for Winnipeg. You've got Lake of the Woods Brewing Company, Gusto North, Yard Burger, Fools and Horses, Miss Browns, just to name a few. Is the concept like a food court or more like a commons area that you'd see at the Forks? Like, What would it look like if I step into that space? So on level one is primarily retail. So there's two different retail stores on level one, one being the grocery that you mentioned. So that concept is um, kind of the vision and will be executed by the same group that runs Gusto North and and Pizzeria Gusto and Merchant Kitchen in Winnipeg. It's going to be a really neat boutique kind of Epicurean style grocery store um, with a a variety of different private label options as well as kind of your typical typical groceries. The other retail concept on level one is going to be exactly as you mentioned, the Lake of the Woods Brewing Company. So that'll be a place where people can sample different Lake of the Woods brews um, as well as take home some retail product. On level two, which is the larger of the two spaces, it will be uh, kind of structured a little bit more like what you would picture a, a typical food hall or, or an upscale food court. So that's where the, the balance of the seven, seven vendors is with a variety of different seating options. 
So people have already fallen in love with Merchant Kitchen and Pizzeria Gusto and, and Bobby uh, Matolo and, and, and his vision and, and what his staff have brought to the table. Not everybody has been out to Kenora in the last decade or so, but one of the highlights is the converted fire hall that is Lake of the Woods Brewing Company. So they're coming, they're, they're bringing part of their operation to Winnipeg. That's pretty exciting. Yes, absolutely. So it's their first Manitoba location. But as you mentioned, given Winnipeg is such a... Um, you know, a, a cottage country city. A lot of people are already familiar with their brand, which has been really strong. Um, so now it's it's just an opportunity for people to taste them locally, uh, purchase cans, growlers, or crowlers and bring them home. And then as well, one of the really spectacular features on Level 2 is they are having brewing tanks located in the middle of the space, which actually enables them to brew locally for the first time. One of the conversations that's happened around the downtown in over the past years is that idea of the grocery store. You're bringing one, but it's it's not the traditional store that we would think of. Was there any conversations out there about going after one of those big chains, or did you see the boutique idea more as a better fit for the what you envisioned for that space? We we did see the boutique as a better fit, um, both size wise. It, it fits much better with the overall retail vision for True North Square. And also we think it, it has the right mix of offerings that people in the neighborhood and people downtown need. So for example, if, if someone's working in one of the buildings, working nearby, or living in our residential tower, 225 Carlton, or in any other residential nearby, they're able to go kind of, it's more of a, a grab and go format where people can get something to take home for dinner, get something for lunch. Um, it'll have grocery staples, but it will also have quite a bit of uh, on the prepared food, the private label side. And so just offering kind of a nice curated mix of um, grocery items yeah, it's, that really it, satisfies that that downtown consumer. Yeah, it's such a, a cosmopolitan vision, really. And I think I can imagine it in my mind, uh, uh, you know, that New York, Vancouver, Chicago, people that live downtown, because we're seeing such an influx of residents to downtown. The choices need to be different. They need to be more variety. Uh, maybe one question you might not be able to answer for us, but but hopefully you can. Miss Brown's already has a location in the downtown, in the, in the Exchange District, and Fools and Horses is on Broadway. Are those two locations staying open? Is this Are these supplemental or, or secondary locations for them? Uh, they are staying open, so these would be secondary locations for them. Uh, I, think, I think both of those vendors both saw it as an opportunity to access a bit of a different uh, market, a bit of a different neighborhood. So, for example, with Fools and Horses, while they are downtown, this is kind of serving, serving coffee and, and their other items right in what's going to be a very dense uh, dense area of downtown, as well as being Skywalk connected, so it just gives them access to a bit of a different a different crowd than at their other locations. It makes that all more exciting for me because that shows the expansion in the downtown. Perhaps is it really truly is worth it if a shop like these ones can say we want two or three or whatever locations. So it's all good news all around, Joanna. Thank you so Absolutely. much for dropping on with us this morning. Thanks for having me. Joanna Chipman with True North Real Estate Development about the new Hargrave Street Market, they're calling it. Sounds, I can't wait to see the artist rendering. And maybe I should go back to the original email, and I just missed that because I was so excited to read the list of things coming downtown. But the concept of the brewery and then the uh, tanks up top in the main space and the Lake, the, the lake of the Woods, the if you've been there in Kenora, it's awesome. It's gone a long way in uh, revitalizing the, the downtown of Kenora. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. 
and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.